Welcome, my friends, to Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat, the podcast that never ends, where we gather our clan and talk about the peace and love in our lives, the difficulties along the journey, and how we rise up from them. We will experience a little thing I call cluberty together, and by the end of the show, we're going to find our sweet spot. I'm Uncle Dave, and our transformation starts right here. Hey now, and how are you doing? I want to welcome you to the next episode of Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat. Today we have a martial arts expert, an expert in so many different things. I can't wait to talk to about it. His name is Dane Dormio. Hey, how you doing, Dane? Hey, David. I am great and super glad to be here. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You know, I know we got connected, and then we connected on Facebook as well, and I was like, wow, this is somebody I really wanted to talk to. And I'm been eager to talk about it. Uh, so one of the things is, let's just start off. So how did you get into martial arts? Uh, you know, there's a lot of different pieces of martial arts that you're an expert in, and I'd love to hear how you just got into it. <laughs> uh, well, that, I love that question because because I love martial arts, but I uh, I want to put it put a guide rail in place by saying. Uh, my for for the for the benefit of uh of our listeners who who uh haven't met me yet what i do is martial arts and mind body mastery so martial arts is my my background and sort of the foundation of that is the foundation of mind body mastery and i could go on uh talking about geeking out on martial arts all day long so um uh uh, I just want to uh, put that in place to keep us somewhat on track, so we can we can also talk about uh, about things beyond martial arts because I can <laughs> I can really geek out on that. Um, but uh, to answer your question, so uh, I well actually I basically started doing martial arts as a kid and never really stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe took a break or two here and there, but uh, I I started out in uh and and large, largely thanks to the influence of the ninja turtles <laughs> i was i was so into the ninja turtles that my parents finally decided they should sign me up for something so uh i got signed up for lessons at the local taekwondo chain school it was a kind of place where i uh, I started at age 10 i went to the regular testings every 2 months when uh, went up a belt each time. I had my black belt at age 12 and my second degree black belt at age 14. And that was great for me in a lot of ways, had a lot of great benefits, including getting me in good physical shape at what I think is a very formative age. Because I actually think somewhere in that period of like 10 to 14, if is is kind of like a, a switch almost that if you are physically active and, 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 and pretty physically fit in that, uh, time range, then you'll tend to have an easier time being physically active and physically fit from then on for the rest of your life. But if you are sedentary and not active and not physically fit, uh, during that time frame, then you'll tend in that direction. It'll be harder for you, um, to, to get physically fit and physically active later in life. So that was a great benefit to me in that I was super physically active, lots of push-ups and sit-ups and, uh, and jumping around and all kinds of things. Um, and then, uh, and then after that, I, uh, I, I, uh, branched out and started looking for other kinds of martial arts to learn and 
Um, the first 12 years, I studied all different types of external martial arts, uh, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Brazilian, Filipino. Um, and the and and to clarify that, what I mean by external martial arts, there's there's a distinction that, that some of your audience may be familiar with uh, or not with internal and external martial arts. And, and basically ex- what most of us think of as martial arts are what would be classified as external martial arts. And meaning the emphasis is on physical fitness, exertion, overcoming strengths with strength and usually a lot of jumping around, kicking high backflips and spin kicks and all that sort of stuff. Internal martial arts, the emphasis is on cultivating a meditative state of awareness and developing relaxation and fluidity, soft power, overcoming uh, strength with yielding and paying attention to the the breath and physical sensations and everything that's happening inside the body. So in in my own uh in my own journey, I, I started out doing external martial arts as a kid and did all different kinds of external martial arts the first 12 years. And then there was a major turning point in, in my life in many ways, um, in my life, in my career, and in, in, in my martial arts uh, journey and development, when I began to learn internal martial arts. And this was, this was actually what triggered the first major spiritual awakening of my life, which the work that I do now is, has sort of grown out of a series of spiritual awakenings where the universe has revealed my path for me. And this was this was the first one when I when I started practicing internal martial arts. And, and basically, I grew up as a rational materialistic atheist in the Bible Belt with no concept of spiritual consciousness whatsoever. <laughs> OK, just to put this in context. And I, I studied math and physics in college and then uh, I graduated from college and uh, moved to Southern California for graduate school. And this was where I started learning internal martial arts. And, and this experience, one of the best ways I can describe it is it's, I was, I, I was just practicing this way for a few months, moving slowly, breathing, relaxing, feeling my breath, feeling the sensations inside my body. And all of a sudden there was this moment when everything in the whole universe was completely different. And at the same time, everything was exactly the same. Nothing had changed at all. And I realized that this experience that people spend years and decades and lifetimes striving after and seeking and that I didn't even really believe in had just kind of fallen out of the sky and landed in my lap. <laughs> like where'd that come from? And for me, that was the beginning of my personal mind body mastery journey. And that was, that was when I discovered there was such a thing as, as somatic awareness and, 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 and spiritual consciousness. And basically I lived my entire life up to that point, 
completely up here. Like basically the left quadrant or the left hemisphere <laughs> of my brain, like I had completely existed up here. And this was when I started to inhabit all of my body, all of my being for the first time. Um, and so my, my martial arts journey has been kind of split up into those two parts before that experience. And after that experience, it's, it's been a, it's yeah, been a sure, sure. Well, so what was that experience? Would you share that with us? Just what was this, your spiritual awakening? I mean, I, I, I've had something similar like that and it really does. It's that, it's that shift of, like almost pulling the veil behind, you know, you didn't know the veil was in front of your eyes. And once you get it pulled back, you, you can't unsee it. Well, what, when you say you've had that kind of experience, like in, in what context, what was that? Uh, well, like? well, for me, it, it, it was related to, you know, I didn't believe any of the, the inner work that we do, you know, the, the flow, the energy flows and things like that. And then I had got to an experience, uh, a few times, but the last real time was when I tried to hurt myself, when I tried to kill myself. And I was in, 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 a, in a state of Zen and, and peace that this was going to happen. And then the veil came through and I saw things differently. And from there, the growth has been con- tremendous for me in opening up and seeing the energy, the, the, the blocks that I had are now long gone. Yeah, well, that, that's that's really fascinating uh, to me because are you uh, are you familiar with uh, the work of Stan Groff in transpersonal psychology? I've heard of it. I, I, I'm not. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have a conversation about it. I don't know enough about it that way. But I, I, I've heard about it and, and researched a little bit about it. Well, just 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 to put in context, Stan Groff, the grandfather of transpersonal psychology, and and and. Uh, the developer of holotropic breathwork uh, was one of the first researchers in Prague in the 1950s to experiment with uh, LSD-assisted psychotherapy. And through uh, that work, during that for 10 years and the continuation of that work, he developed the most comprehensive model of the human psyche to date. It, it, it is, it, include transcends and includes both Freud's and Jung's models of the psyche and, and many others. Uh, and, 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 and it incorporates Reich's work uh, as well. Um, and he, uh, and, and, and from that, he went on to develop a, a technique called holotropic breath work, which has often been described as being like an acid trip without the acid. And he also, uh, developed this idea of spiritual emergency, which is a term for when a spiritual awakening manifests as an uh, some kind of episode of, of psychiatric uh, mm-hmm. crisis. Um, and uh, I've, I've had this kind too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The, uh, uh, I've been suicidal. I've been manic. I've been depressed. Uh, it's more um, common. And that's, so when I was in my episode, you know, I was told, you know, it's not your time and you need to talk about it more. Uh, and and that's one of the reasons how this podcast became, uh, you know, uh, born, Uh, you know, I knew a lot of the resources. So like you were telling, telling us about, 
the foundation. I knew a lot of my foundation, but I wasn't always using my resources. And once I was able to start, once I had that clarity, uh, I, for me, it was the clarity. Okay, now I have a mission. Uh, and, and for me, is now building upon that mission and hearing stories like yourself and, and ha- allowing people to understand you know, that there's more than one resource. There's more than one way to get to where you need to go to. Yeah, and particularly, and and for uh, Stan's message when it comes to this, to uh, spiritual emergency, is that we need to recognize collectively that um, the the people need to be supported through this by spiritual counselors, not by institutionalization and medication and and the conventional psychiatric approach. That in in um, in uh, older cultures. You know, somebody would have an experience that uh, like this, and then they would become the healer for the mm-hmm. tribe because they they had gone through this uh, personal trial of whatever kind, and and they came back from it with gifts. and 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 we could have that happening too if we would recognize and and support uh, people through these experiences. So if someone's not aware of this concept, they might have an episode that might manifest as a manic episode or, or uh, uh, a, a suicidal episode uh, or, or, or um, uh, they might, they might, if they were, they might be diagnosed as, as schizophrenic or, um, or a lot of other things. And we're, what's really happening is they're having a spiritual awakening uh, because it can be a very disruptive event to like kind of suddenly see deeper into reality than you ever have before it can be a very disruptive event depending on the state of things and circumstances in your life and and pre-existing mental health conditions and whatnot and so if uh but but if if a person can be supported uh appropriately through that um seeing it as not as a as a episode of mental illness, but as a, as a, as an awakening, well, as a growth period, you, you know, if you as look a, at as it a, as a, as a growth, as, as, as an opening of, of the doors of perception, mm-hmm. um, then, uh, then they can be supported through that in their own growth and they can become, uh, they can help others. They can become healers and teachers. Well, and that, that's, I, I created a word, uh, cluberty, uh, about that, you know, about that process for me. And then I've been teaching it for other, to other people as well. It's that moment, that moment you get a clue and, uh, and it's, it's like puberty, but, uh, not as much fun because, you know, you're going through that, that emotional, mental, and sometimes physical pain related to a bunch of events that are going on in your life or have gone in and that you've been carrying it around. And uh, it's pretty powerful. I mean, that's why, you know, you know, for me, that's where I go, okay, is it a cluberty moment that I need to grow through again? Or is it something I just need to deal with for the time being and identify that differently to make sure the energy flows? I, I talk about that all the time. And I know you're a, a, one of the masters uh, of energy flow. Another really helpful and powerful model that I've found is uh, Ken Wilber's three dimensions of cleaning up, growing up and waking up mm-hmm. as being the, the, the fundamental dimensions of, of human development. And I, I can definitely attest to, to this because basically there's cleaning up, which is resolving past traumas and addressing mm-hmm. shadow material. Uh Growing up, which is developing the ability to handle responsibility in the adult world, 
and waking up, which is progressing through unfolding states and stages of advancing spiritual awareness. And a person can be very highly developed on any one of these axes and, and very undeveloped on any of the others. So um, uh, I, I learned this because uh, to get back to what you were asking about the, the experience I had, um, the, the, the experience that I described is actually a very, it was not a spiritual emergency. It was a very blissful, ecstatic kind of awakening. It was, um, it was not, uh, exactly challenging at all. It was, it was like being born, like being a baby all over again, almost. And, uh, and, and one thing that I, that I always like to emphasize about this is when we're talking about the concept of spiritual awakening, it's kind of linked in a lot of people's minds to the concept of enlightenment and what does that even what do either of those terms even mean exactly and you know does what does it mean to be is there such thing as an enlightened master or an ascended master and i've met people who think oh you know if you're really enlightened you could levitate you know <laughs> um and and there's there's kind of this image of it being a sort of final perfect endpoint or something which uh it absolutely isn't <laughs> um it is, uh, and, and, and in my experience, what happened is I, I had this, this radical expansion of consciousness and I got better at a whole lot of things. I got, I, I advanced more in my martial arts skills in the next six months than I had over the previous 12 years, or it was more like I unlocked access to mm. skills that had been dormant. Um, but I, but I advanced more just in my physical ability over those six months than I had in the previous 12 years. And I, I developed deep insights about the nature of consciousness and reality and neural nets. And I wrote down pages and pages of, of notes and theorems. I was in graduate school in physics at the time. I wasn't aware that I knew anything about neural nets, but <laughs> all this knowledge about neural nets just started pouring out of my head or more like it was pouring into my head. From, uh, but it was like, I had access to all this, everything I'd ever perceived and, and just never put together. And suddenly I had access to it. Um, and then uh, after that, what ended up happening was I dropped out of graduate school uh, moved to Houston to go into the real estate business, got involved with a scam artist, uh, acquired a million dollars in, uh, in mortgages, all of which foreclosed within nine months and ended up, uh, being homeless and suicidal and, uh, living on the street for about five years. So point being, this was not any kind of like <laughs> perfect finished endpoint. <laughs> And this was only the beginning of my problems in life. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I always want to put it in, in that context because um, a spiritual awakening, and it's also not a single thing. There can be, it's, it's uh, we, we tend to have, if we, if we continue growing, then we'll have a series of them. We'll continue having them throughout the course of our life and they'll, you know, they'll kind of get bigger and deeper in, in a certain sense, but um, 
they're the the way that I, I recognize this, the way that I actually recognize what happened to me was um, I went to uh, a small private liberal arts college, uh, majored in math and physics, but you have to study some of everything. So the religion elective I took was a class in Buddhism, and I learned all these cool old stories, uh, including the one about Siddhartha Gautama sitting under the Bodhi tree and having the Satori, the instantaneous awakening experience and arising as the Buddha, the awakened one. And it was just a bunch of cool old stories at the time didn't really mean a lot to me. Um, and then when, when this experience happened to me, uh, it was, it was kind of like, I was just in my room moving slowly breathing. And then almost like that, that moment in the matrix, like, Oh, I know Kung Fu. It was like, Whoa, there is this, <laughs> moment and and the first thought that went to my head after this happened was oh that's what that was that's what they were talking about in those old stories that just happened <laughs> and, and and an interesting twist to this fast forward about 15 years uh i i, I did a vipassana course and for those who aren't familiar vipassana is the, the, the lore on it is it's the original meditation technique discovered and taught by the Buddha himself. And it's typically taught in 10-day courses. They're often called silent retreats because for 10 full days, you arrive on yep. day zero, you leave on day 11. And for 10 full days, there's no speaking, no reading, no writing, no physical contact, no eye contact, no devices, no substances. <laughs> Um, you basically spend uh, eight or nine hours a day in seated meditation and the rest of the time in quiet contemplation. There's just a few simple meals and, um, and you, and you learn the technique over the course of 10 days. And um, uh, spoiler alert here, not to, not to spoil this for anybody who wants to do it. It's an awesome thing. It's, it, it is as awesome. I've heard as so many great stories about that. I, well, the first time I had heard about it is probably now about eight or nine years ago and uh, from one of my mentors along the, the, the road, and he said that's what he does. He, he That's his vacation. He doesn't take his wife. He doesn't take his kids. He goes for seven days uh, to a retreat where they teach and, and they do these things, and he goes, and nobody talks. Nobody even can, you know, and I'm like, what? You know, you never understood it, and it's, you know, the, the, the simple answer is like the, the, the famous Buddha saying, if you can't meditate for 20 minutes, then you must meditate for an hour. Uh, you, you need to learn to be, get yourself up to there. Uh, you don't need to, but it, it's helpful when you do. We'll be back in a moment. Beep, beep, beep. We are interrupting this show to tell you about our podcast with a very special announcement. Hey folks, I hope you're enjoying your podcast, which you're listening to right now. But I would like to tell you about another one. We are Sounds Like Autism. Produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. Which is full of impactful programming. It's the podcast that celebrates neurodiversity by speaking to the people 
who are helping to create a more inclusive world. I am Dave Thompson. I am an educator and an innovator and a leader within the space of helping the world become a more inclusive place for neurodivergent people as a neurodivergent self-advocate myself. And my co-host, Josh Mursky, is an incredible, hardworking, big picture dude who is on the autism spectrum and super stoked to spread his message of inclusion along with me. We've had folks on from all over, all walks of life, all over the country, and more. You don't need to be someone who is autistic yourself or have skin in the game. You don't need a family member or a neighbor who is autistic. You probably have one, but you don't need any of that to get stoked on neurodiversity and inclusion. We're confident that if you give us a shot, if you join us on our journey, that you'll be a lifer and you'll be fully invested in this mission. We are just so delighted and honored to have this kind of platform to share with you all what we do check us out i hope you enjoy your current podcast and then after that skedaddle and come right over here to sounds like autism and check us out now back to the show you're listening to peace love and bring it back with me uncle dave dave shimetsky it's it's essential i mean the 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 course is designed to experience what it's like to live as a monk or a (laughs) nun for 10 days um and uh and and to to have a uh, a deep, powerful, experiential learning experience, and and to learn the technique so that you can then continue to practice it, and um, and so on. And, and it totally is as awesome as it sounds. If it sounds if it sounds great to you, you should totally do it. If it sounds terrifying to you, you especially should do it. <laughs> um, but uh, essentially, this this is what it comes down to. Like they they break it down step by step and teach it over. Uh, build, build it up but essentially it comes down to you you sit still you relax your body you pay attention to your breathing and bodily sensations and that's it that's the technique <laughs> and when i learned this i was like Oh, you don't say. I mean, well, I was, I was moving slowly instead of sitting still, but the breathing, the relaxing, the the sensation. Oh, maybe there really is something to all this. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, stories it, after all. The, the the more you quiet yourself, the more you're able to hear, and that's why it sounds powerful because you're all focusing from within your your yourself. <clears throat> I mean, essentially, that is supposedly, according to the Vipassana tradition, that's the core of the Buddhist teaching, is that the gateway to ultimate reality is not out there. It's through the doorway of your own bodily perceptions. Your own bodily perceptions and sensations are the fundamental truth of reality, to to boil it down. Yeah, no, that, right, it is. Now, uh, so I, I know. So you started out with the martial arts, uh, you know, and, and you eventually came to the the inner martial arts, which is the, the the mental awareness. And you just were sharing us about some awakenings. Um, and, and you have the the Mind Body Mastery Academy. Uh, so I, I know among the things that you do is work with the the flow and, and stress reduction. What would you suggest to somebody who's going through a, a stressful piece of life? That's a that's a great question because stress reduction is 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 kind of the key unifying theme of of what mind body mastery is about. And 
the fundamental principle is this when it when it comes to stress or anxiety or these related kinds of things that we experience there's two fundamental ways to deal with that two fundamental ways to approach it what i refer to as the internal path and the external path the internal path and 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 these the internal path and the external path together are make up mind body mastery mind body mastery is is about the the uh synthesis of, of these two approaches the internal path is to is, is about internal awareness and particularly regulating body breath and mind to manage state moment to moment because state is the basis of everything it's the basis of of performance it's the basis of mood it's the basis of of relationships of success of mental health it's it's of your overall experience and quality of life it's all mediated by state so learning how to regulate body breath and mind through practices like exercise breath work meditation mind body practices specific mind body practices like yoga qigong to reduce your reactivity and increase your ability to handle and hold up and perform under stress the external path has to do with information and action management personal organization productivity personal systems in other words uh figure out how to solve the problems that are causing you stress mm-hmm. and put systems in place to ensure that they remain solved. <laughs> Voila, less stress, right? So it's not about one or the other. It's about the synthesis of these two approaches of, of the internal path of state management and upregulating your, uh, your, your resilience and your, your capacity at the same time as reducing the friction and the entropy drag in your life putting systems in place to make it to make life easy for you and to focus and channel your creative energy into worthwhile outcomes rather than letting it be dissipated so and 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 they i say that these are mutually complementarily complementary and they rely on each other they're interdependent because no matter how good your state management abilities are if your decision making and long-term planning abilities are no good then then eventually your state management abilities will be taxed no matter right. no matter how strong they are and uh, and also practices like exercise breathwork meditation mind body practices only will do you good if you can actually do them which means establishing consistency regularity habits routines which are uh which are a function of the external path if you if you don't have a meditation practice meditation isn't going to do a lot of good for you sure. likewise if you you can have the 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 most detailed plans and the most well designed systems 
But if you don't actually follow them, which is a matter of state management, directing your energy, attention, and focus, then they won't do you a lot of good. And likewise, if you are just not taking care of the, the most important component of the system, which is you, you're not taking care of your, your physical health, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual uh, health, wellness, and fitness, just meeting your baseline needs, um, then the system is going to fail. Um, so the, the internal and the external path support and rely on each other. And, and to be honest, I'm the only coach I know that really integrates these almost, I mean, almost every, every coach type of coach that I've encountered, they focus on one or the other, either the internal path of inner game and visualization and mindset and, and, um, uh, positive, positive thinking and that sort of thing, or they focus on the external path of take these particular steps in this particular order to get this particular result. But you have to do them together. If you, if you try to do the external alone, you end up fine. You have to do the internal as well. Or if you try to only address the, the internal alone, you end up, you find up, you actually have to address the external as well. So, so, the, the motto of my, the college I went to was, uh, I don't remember the Latin version, but it was unto the whole person. And, and that's also the motto of my coaching business is, is unto the whole person in an integrated, balanced way. We address all of these aspects at once. Um, and, and getting back to your question, so for somebody who's dealing with stress, attack it from, from both sides. If you, if you are just using the internal approach, internal tools, then you'll eventually hit a dead end. If you're just using external tools, the same thing, you'll eventually get stuck. You have to be using both of them in order to make progress effectively. So, so look at it that way. Look at it as, as regulate your ability to handle stress and also take steps at the same time to uh, lower the stress load on yourself, make, make things easier for yourself by putting systems in place. Yeah. Well, which, which makes a lot of sense, uh, because, uh, you know, you got to find that right balance. And, and again, when you said, you know, can't just focus on the internal and it, it has to blend as one whole being, you're both your physical as well as your internal being. So how would you, what are some of the best ways to develop this discipline? Because you definitely need to create your boundaries. And, you know, we talk about boundaries often on the podcast, what are some of the best ways to develop those, those that self-discipline both internally as well as externally? I, I, I love, I love that word discipline. It's one of my favorite words. And you know, I used to hate that word. I used to have a very negative relationship with that word actually. Um, and, and now I feel very positive about it because I, because I understand it very differently. The, the way a lot of us think of discipline, the way we're sort of conditioned to think of discipline is as, or self-discipline, I mean, well, I mean, discipline, you know, means punishment. You know, that's one <laughs> way we, uh, we think of it. Um, but self-discipline in particular, we, we think of self-discipline as meaning making yourself do something you don't want to do. 
<laughs> and um, that's actually, so I actually uh, use the terms discipline, motivation, and willpower. And, and that's actually closer to the definition of willpower is where like party wants to do it, party doesn't. And the part that wants to is like a majority is able to like force and the other part, but the other part's in resistance. So there's internal energy being burned up. You're, you're fighting against yourself. It takes a lot of energy. So the, what discipline the, the way that I understand discipline now, it, it's related to motivation. And motivation has uh, has three parts. Well, actually, let me define willpower more precisely. Willpower is the mental energy required to overcome internal or external resistance to doing a behavior. And willpower takes mental energy, and it's the same mental energy that's used by critical thinking, decision-making, short-term memory, and empathy which is the basis of the phenomenon of, uh, uh, of decision fatigue, uh, where the, the more energy you expend on one of these things, the less energy you have available for the other. So discipline is actually about willpower conservation. We want to conserve willpower as much as possible. We want to use using discipline and willpower actually inversely related. The, the, the more discipline you have, the less willpower it takes. And, and vice versa. But motivation has three parts, which are, it's, I mean, it's, it's the impulse or impulsion to do a behavior. And it's a combination of internal, social, and environmental factors. So there's internal factors uh, of wanting to do something. There's social factors, which are the expectations and influence of the people. And there's environmental factors, like, you know, if it's cold in the room it motivates you to put on a jacket <laughs> um and so motivation is like how strongly you want to do something it's it's the impulse to do something and so discipline is the state of alignment it's both internal and external alignment where you feel intrinsically naturally motivated to do what you have already consciously and intelligently decided is in your best interest. Mm -hmm. So discipline is a state where you want to do what is good for you. you. You don't have to make yourself or force yourself. You want to go run a mile or five miles or whatever makes you feel good. You know, you, you want to, you want to get up and do your meditation. You want to eat your vegetables. That's discipline. Okay, that, no, that that makes all all, all the sense because uh, you know it, it really is right discipline and I all I too also had a you know when you hear the word discipline you 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 think more more violence or you know you have to do the have to dos but discipline also really is a big part of the want to dos and but by doing it consistently is you know consistency is what builds the the routines consistency is what builds all the other pieces to it. So that's really powerful stuff. Yeah. And the discipline essentially, I, I, I like discipline now because when I think of discipline, I think of easy the more discipline I have, the easier it is, mm -hmm. the easier sure. it gets. And the way to develop discipline is the key to that is in the definition of motivation. 
uh, internal necessity, build up your internal necessity by generating internal consensus, basically, like if there's, you know, uh, conflicting subpersonalities, part of your mind is going back and forth, have that debate until one side wins. And then either you 100% want to do the thing or you 100% don't want to do the thing and you want to do something else. Right. But that's internal necessity, internal alignment. And then social support is getting connected with putting yourself in, uh, in, in contact with people who are reflecting similar standards and who, who have the expectation, who hold the expectation for you. So people who will know whether you do the thing or not, people who will notice if you don't show up, like, you know, if you want to learn martial arts, you join a martial arts <sighs> class. Why? Cause then if you go, there are people there and they'll know if you don't show up. Class. Um, and you, you create social support for yourself and, and environmental support is, the physical environment and personal systems. If, you know, if you want to, um, if you want to get in shape, you want to exercise more, how conducive is your physical space to exercise? Most people, a lot of people don't even have physical space in their homes to exercise. They have a, a giant TV shrine and, you know, they have a giant bed in their bedroom and, you know, they, but every room is filled with stuff usually. And there's not any single room that actually has space where they can just stand up and move around. So, first thing is like how are you going to make your environment conducive sure to the behavior and set up the the reminders the personal systems the the things that will ensure that you can't forget that it's time to do the thing and to make it so that you'll a physical space where you feel like doing the thing so i say that of those three they're all necessary but internal necessity is most important because if you have internal necessity, you can create social support and environmental support for yourself. And even if you don't have internal necessity, you can create internal necessity for yourself through, through the, the process of belief change, basically identifying and replacing limiting beliefs. And that's how you create the internal necessity. Yep. You can definitely do that. Um, so, you know, we, we've got, you know, we've gotten through a lot of stuff and uh, it's been great. And I know we usually try to keep the episodes to about a half hour or so. Are there any seeds of knowledge? I mean, you've given us so much knowledge. Is there anything like a parting words or, or, or things that you'd like to do? Because I know you've told us a little bit about the self-discipline and, uh, you know, the, the mind-body balance. Well, there's something that just occurred to me that I think I can speak to. Sure. That kind of applies to almost everybody in a way and it it kind of it corresponds a little bit to the old left brain right brain uh dualism sure. where just just speaking very loosely the the external approach of systems and organization is is very left-brained in nature and the internal approach of touchy feely sensations and <laughs> uh, everything is, is kind of uh, right brained. Um, and, and there tends to be, uh, I mean, there, there tends to be 
people people tend to split up in along one of these lines. Either if you're listening to this, you you can probably recognize yourself. Either you're uh, the more left-brained analytical systems type, uh, and if so, there's a very good chance that you just kind of let your body go and uh, and you don't eat as well as you would like to and or know you know you should know it'd be good for you. You don't exercise as well as you'd like to and or know it'd be good for you. You know, you're probably shooting on yourself. Oh, yeah, I should be meditating. But- I should be exercising. Um, these things just, just tend to run together. Uh and um and 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 it's likely you may have also largely neglected your intuitive and creative senses and inside of yourself as well. Um and and I'm guessing a lot of people can can kind of relate to that. And and then there's the the other side of the duality, which is people who are more uh woo woo airy fairy <laughs> and i say that with love of course uh uh right brain types who are all about the energy and the touchy feely and uh and you know uh and just feeling grounded in their body and they're totally in tune with uh you know like like their body and and sensations and and they tend to to be more in tune with like exercise and meditation and diet and sleep and and biorhythms and and that sort of thing but uh and uh and they also tend towards creativity and intuition um uh but they tend to have a weakness when it comes to systems and organization and consistency and um uh and 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 those sorts of things and and the thing that i want to say that i think kind of relates both of these types is we we're kind of conditioned a certain way through our life experiences usually from early on and and we might often if we're conditioned to be particularly one way we often might have some resistance being the other way like if you're really analytical and and systems oriented you might have some resistance to that airy fairy woo woo stuff and if you're really uh intuitive and um and uh and and energy oriented you might have some real strong uh, resistance to structure and organization (laughs) but here's here's what i can attest from my own experience when i i i as as i said before i pretty much grew up entirely in my left brain and then i developed all these other capacities and people since then have often told me wow you're really balanced person you know you you can you can play both sides uh and and i i i can recognize that about myself as well because i i can freely move between the two sides of my brain so to speak with with no restrictions and so developing uh the right brain uh in intuitive uh um kind of side uh, I didn't lose access to my left brain capabilities at all. <laughs> uh, and, and so, so that's the thing that I want to point out is that if you develop, if, if you develop your own developed capacities, you're not going to lose the ones that are already developed. They're not going to be lessened in any way. In fact, they'll be amplified. They'll be, they'll be more powerful because you'll be able to use them more flexibly. And, 
and the feeling just the the feeling having having more capacities corresponds to having more freedom and my definition of freedom in this or in any dimension just in general is freedom is the state of not being locked into or out of any potential capacity of the system so that's powerful. Uh, yep. not being trapped on the left or on the right or out of the left or the right side but being able to freely move between them right that's well, that, that's the, that's the greatest attention. way because uh, to, to, i mean that's why growth that's why we keep learning uh, you don't stay one way or the other because you need that flow and you need a little creative creativity even if you're analytical you need that creativity to come up with the new ideas because if we just look at the things that happened previously uh, that doesn't lead to growth. Uh, you stay in that box and just only analyze the box. You'll never learn what's outside and the bigger world. You need you need creativity to innovate, and you need self awareness just to pay attention to and take care of your own body, which is the most important component of the system. Remember? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing goes any further if we're not well ourselves. If we don't take care of ourselves. Okay, so I know we've uh, taken a lot of your time, and I really appreciate it and, re- and respect your time. You've given us a lot of knowledge, and, and thank you. And for everybody else, I just want to make sure that we always you know, live in a state of peace and love. But when you need to bring a bat, it's the boundaries, and I wish you a sweet spot, and knock it out of the park. Thanks so much. I'm really glad that you're enjoying our show. Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat is brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios. Executive produced by David Chemetsky and George Andriopoulos. Music selections by James Grant, Zach Nelson, and James Gaither, and licensed through Storyblock. Sound effects and sponsorship music licensed through Epidemic Sound. Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat is hosted with Podbean. Subscribe to our show wherever podcasts are available. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and share with all of your friends. Follow us on Facebook at Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat. Follow me, Uncle Dave, Dave Shemetsky, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse. You can find all those links and more info at davidshemetsky.com. For show ideas, feedback, guest inquiries, or just a chat, reach out to me at peacelovebringabat at gmail.com. For sponsorship and media inquiries, reach out to peacelovebringabat at lp516.com. Make sure to follow all the great podcasts produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. Today's journey has come to a close, my friends. I hope the seeds of peace and love continue to grow for each one of you. Remember that peace and love surrounds you and will assist you to rise again. But don't forget to bring it back for what you believe in. Namaste. Namaste.